TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. What a headline with the county council meeting. <laughs> all right, you heard our newscast here. Oh, boy. Uh, with with all of the heat and flare-ups from today, Sean Michael Lyle brought up the chaos, the post-dispatch. No, the, the St. Louis Business Journal says the St. Louis County meeting descends into chaos over a leadership fight. Someone watching it and someone that watches every single one of them is Tom Sullivan, a local county watchdog. Thanks for coming on to KMOX. Good evening, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Okay, so you're going to have to give us an idea of what exactly went on and try to emulate the emotions because sometimes it's hard to really give a, a, a true pulse of what happened without trying to talk about the emotions leading into it and what and where it went. Well, they had a real Downey Brook at the county council meeting tonight, and but people were ended up uh, screaming and hollering at one another. What started all off was at the beginning of the meeting, Tim Fitch had made a motion to basically throw out the election of the officers that was made at the last meeting. Uh, there was quite a uh, quite a dispute over that, if you recall. One of the council members whose term has expired, they basically kept her on until the first meeting of the year so that she could vote for Lisa Clancy. And, of course, that's very questionable. Her term ended on December the 31st, but they said, well, we'll just keep you on for, for uh, another week or so so you can vote to give us the fourth vote to have Lisa Clancy as, as, as chair. So the motion was to, to throw that out and then start electing new officers. Well, it became a got into a shouting match between uh, – uh, Lisa Clancy was saying it's all it's all out of order. It's illegal. I'm the chair, and you can't do anything about it. And Tim Fish <laughs> saying that no, no, we have the we can we can we have the votes to uh, you know to undo the election and have a new election and uh, with new officers. And actually, they kind of voted for him to be the presiding officer, which is a title for somebody that you give when the uh, when the chair has been vacated. So they just went back and forth, and finally, at, uh, at about half an hour into the meeting, uh, someone made a motion to adjourn it, and that was all. So how it's all going to get straightened out, uh, at this point, it's hard to say. It may very well end up in court. I don't understand this, and this is something I'm still trying to figure out. So your term ends. How can you still conduct official government business after your term ends? I don't understand that. 
You you can't. You know that's what that's the whole issue. And Rochelle Walton Gray, who's the one who 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 stayed, she lost her election last year, and her term ended on December the thirty first. The county charter says uh, unless someone unless a successor has been duly elected, which someone has, then your term is over. Well, that was it. Well, what complicates it was last year they had a charter change, and they, they changed the date of start, starting date for the county council members from January the 1st to the second Tuesday uh, of January, which this year is January the 12th. So you can't really, you know, that kind of messed things up, but regardless, you can't just take somebody whose term has expired and say, well, we're going to keep you on, we're going to keep you on to the, to the first meeting because we need your vote, and they had enough votes at the first meeting last week to elect Clancy as chair, but that was been very much disputed. And tonight they tried to undo it, and how it's eventually going to end, like I say, it may very well end up in court. So they didn't get any other business done after that, after the match went a little bit crazy and the debate, I should say, went crazy. And then after that moment, they just said, all right, forget about it. We're going to just pack up and leave. Uh, that was pretty much it. They did get one piece of business done early on in the in the meeting, but uh, the rest of the meeting, you know, as far as introduction of bills and public comments, all the other things that are on a meeting, they did not get to those and uh, just postponed until next week. Was Sam Page as part of this call? Sam Page was, yeah, he was. He's at the meeting and uh, he was on it. He had nothing to say, but uh, he was there. Yes. Okay, I was just curious because, you know, Stanger missed all of those. I was curious if Sam Page was a part of this, but he didn't really weigh in on this. He didn't really have anything to say based on no, this well, discrepancy. It's really, council, it's really the council's business, but at the same time, we had inaugurations uh, swearing in this morning. Everybody talked about unity and, and all this, and uh, it didn't last very long. Was there a private inauguration this morning, too? Supposedly, there was a private inauguration for a council member. Kelly Dunaway. What that's about, I don't know. I've never heard of such a thing. Uh, for one thing, everybody needs to know that you've actually been duly sworn in, and most people want it to be public so that your your friends, your supporters, your constituents can watch. Uh, except for this year, you know, they show up at the at the uh, at the swearing in. You know, so make a pretty big, you know it's a big ceremony and everything. But for whatever reasons, uh, she decided to have her. Uh, take her oath of office in private. Wow. Is this kind of like when people go to the court to be married, there just has to be a witness and a notary, and that's all it takes in order to get something like that done? Like, was there someone that w actually witnessed it and notarized and uh, can attest that it was done properly? I would think so. I, I would imagine that she could have been sworn in by the county clerk, or maybe most of them have a judge there, a judge that, they're, that they know. This is what happened uh, at the other inaugur at the other inaugurations this morning, and what how she did it I don't know. But when she was initially sworn in, it was last it was in 2019. She put her hand on a Dr. Seuss children's book, uh, and she got a lot of flack over that. And maybe that had something to do with her uh, doing it in private this time. I don't know. Yeah. All right, uh, Tom Sullivan joining us here on Overnight America. Now, the things they didn't get to, what are some of the pressing matters that the county council needs to address immediately? 
Well, I don't know if there's anything immediately. They did have one piece of business that they needed to move quickly on, and that was brought up uh, early in the meeting. But most of the time, these things go on over, over several weeks. You know, you have the usual things. You're giving out, uh, you have engineering contracts, and, and you know, we're going to, we're going to put up, uh, you know, bid on a highway or road or something. So those are just the, the and you know, you have zoning, zoning matters. Those are the kind of the things that go on at, at every meeting, and uh, most of them are not in a, you're generally not uh, in a big hurry. Then of course you have public comments at every meeting, and there was no public comments tonight, so everybody will just have to hold on until next week, hopefully. Do- yeah. Do we have a county auditor yet? Someone that's qualified to be in that spot? No, that is just uh, an amazing thing. That uh, I was told that the council was going to hope to have that matter resolved by the end of the year, but it has not been. And I think when you have a new, a new council majority, I think it, it it will be dealt with. It's just rather incredible. We're coming up now. I think the four years that you've had a county auditor and a and a staff of you know sometimes only two people. But all these people are on the are on the public payroll. They're supposed to be doing audits, and they're supposed to be helping out the council. And uh, as far as anybody can tell, they're not doing much of anything. Yeah. Well, I, I also <laughs> while we got you, <laughs> such a mess. It's hard. I I laugh because I'm nervous and disappointed. It's not because I think it's hilarious. I just think to myself, I can't believe this mess that continues to go on in county politics. Now, I, I also want to talk to you about the trolley because. I'm curious, there was an article talking about some of the tax dollars that are still being generated, but they're behind because of the coronavirus. So what's the very latest, what's going on with the the trolley saga? Well, the trolley, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's, it's, it's dead. I think as far as most people are concerned, it's dead. But we still have a situation where Joe Edwards, who is the big promoter of the trolley, he is claiming in a Post-Dispatch uh, article about oh, three or four weeks ago that he is still planning to get it up and running. Oh. Well, Elliot Davis had done a story, and he, he interviewed the city manager at University City, and he said, well, probably going to wait a year until, until 2022, and probably looks like we're going in the second quarter. We're going to talk about dismantling it, taking it down. Okay. Well, I Thanks. think, like I have said, I think they're just trying to let, let it down let it down lightly. There's no path forward that I can see for this trolley. They've tried everything that you can do. The University City is not going to provide any funding. The county is not going to provide any funding. The Bi-State Board turned down the, the deal with the, that the feds had. So at this point, it's, uh, it's dead. Uh, they have no money to, to go forward. And here's the thing that just came out was sales tax collections for the trolley, which is a loop trolley TDD, Transportation Development District, uh, in the second quarter of this year, or last year, 2020, it was 67% down from the same time the previous year, 2019. So the pandemic is really putting a, putting a hurt on sales tax collections in a lot of different places, but it's really putting a hurt on the trolley. Now, if we were to make that relative based on the projections of how much money they thought it would make. Now, imagine it was already coming in at, what was it, under 10% of what they thought it would make. And now you're saying it's even 67% less than that. Oh, man. Yeah, that's so that, that was, well, the, the, the one big thing that they had was, was the 1% sales tax that they collect within the, the loop trolley TDD. That's all of the loop and all the length that the trolley goes. And that's been, that's been a, a pretty good amount coming in. Uh, that's about 
about eight hundred thousand dollars before the before the pandemic hit. Well, that has been pretty steady. But then where they where they were really off was on the money, the revenue from tickets. They were projecting like four hundred thousand dollars a year for the uh, ticket revenue, and they didn't even get one tenth of that. They also were expecting money from advertising, and I think they've got uh, almost nothing. So how how they plan on running this thing? Uh, when they don't have the funds to do it, uh, I don't know. Have they tried putting a comedian on it in order to try <laughs> to get more people to be appealed by the ride? Uh, yes, that also did not work. There's a lot of things they tried that didn't work. All right, so the trolley, at some point, we need to officially call it. Uh, we can only give it CPR for so long. It's time to call it. And it, it's been well, like that for a long time. But Joe Edwards, uh, he's 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 planning on a third uh, trolley car. They've got two trolley cars, and at the at the final ending of the of the trolley, they were only running one because they had so little business. But Joe Edwards says that he's he's planning on putting a third car uh, out there. They still haven't got it ready, and they also have two additional cars. So I don't know uh, how exactly they figure this is all going to happen, but it's it's. Glaringly obvious that there's no riders, not enough riders for this uh, for this trolley. But Joe Edwards has a hard time uh, declaring it dead. And if I uh, will see last weekend, not, oh no, two weekends ago, I was at the Transportation Museum and they have a nice little display in their main building uh, talking about the wonderful upcoming trolley project. And I thought, oh, that was just it's like a time capsule looking back at before everyone was disappointed in it. So uh, Tom Sullivan. Local county watchdog. What a night for the county council meeting. Thank you for coming on talking about it tonight on KMOX. Thanks, Ryan. And he joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line. Wow, what a mess today. And I'm just going to read that headline one more time from the St. Louis Business Journal. St. Louis County meeting descends into chaos over leadership fight. This is Overnight America, KMOX. Listening to KMOX has never been easier. Siri, play KMOX. Overnight America continues, and I'm watching the debates that are going on right now. There is a House Rules Committee that's debating the 25th Amendment. They did the vote. Now they're debating it on the House floor, going back and forth. Haven't really listened much to it, just been watching some of the feeds on it. But I think this will lead into the big vote tomorrow on impeachment, which I'm sure will take a lot of people uh, to social media to talk about that. And I don't know if they have the votes. I mean, they could. It sounds like there's enough Republicans that will be moving over. So that's where we sit today. And based on the way that the, the, the setup of the Senate is, tomorrow could be another one of those days we're watching and monitoring. I just don't know where it's going to go. Coming up in about 10 minutes from now, Dr. Dean Finelli is joining us. He came on before, and so many people called in and said he was a great guest. He's an expert on pharmaceutical and chemical-related technologies, and we're going to talk about the COVID vaccine and some of the updates we've had since then, some of the things that we're seeing, what are we on track for, what's going to happen next, how immune are you to it, because I saw reports that said you'll get it, and then you're going to have to get it every year. Like, it only lasts for a year. So we'll just be in this continuous, like the flu shot, continuing to get it. But this almost seems like it's uh, uh, very necessary. Maybe they'll bundle it all together. Who knows what's going to happen? But we'll talk to Dr. Finelli about that after the break. I saw this one story over on KMOV. Apparently, the state of Missouri overpaid by about $44 million 
to unemployment recipients. And when there was that mad dash of, hey, if you apply, we're just going to approve you. It was like a rubber stamp. They go back and look at some of the application and realize that some of this money may have been given an error. And the state of Missouri was one of the top states in the country to give out money in error. Now, keep in mind, we're not one of the most populated states, but by sake of how much money we gave out, we were very generous. Now, what is the state going to do about it? The question is, what can they do about it? And can they take the money back? So some people have been receiving bills from the state saying, okay, uh, our, our bad, we should have denied you, but uh, we want that money back. And KMOV and Lauren Traeger did a story on it. If the state overpays someone, that's on the state, not the individual. We took the issue to Jenna's state senator, Democrat Brian Williams. I was raised by a single mom, so I know how difficult it is to survive. But let alone um, have the state make an error and then hold the individual accountable is, is completely unfair. To figure out if... Now, that's a good question. So when you fill out this application and you did everything you thought you were doing, because at the time you thought you qualified... Everything was done so quickly. Everything was pushed through at record pacing. And there was a mad dash of people trying to apply for these things because they were unemployed. Or in some cases, they thought the money was going to run out. So they had to do it with urgency. And they knew that if they qualified for it, they could use the money because of the way that the coronavirus was just killing the economy. So they apply for it in the best way they thought. And they get approved. And then later they find out, well, actually, uh, maybe you're not approved. So we send you a bill. So now the question is, did this, if it's a state error or if it's a person error, meaning if it was something that the state messed up on, is the person responsible for it? Ain't that politics? Ain't that government for you? To figure out if this was a bigger problem, News 4 investigates requested and then analyzed raw data. According to the state, over 11,300 people were incorrectly paid from the Federal Pandemic Unemployment Compensation Fund since the start of the pandemic. The total loss, according to the data, more than $44 million. We dug a little deeper and of other states that reported, it appears Missouri lost more money to overpayments than Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, even New York. Wow. Even New York. Missouri population. Okay, let's see. That number is 6.137 million. Let's compare that to Illinois. Uh, Illinois population is 12 million, so double, <laughs> so roughly double, and they paid more than Illinois. Uh, let's look at New York as a population. They're up at 8 million, so even more than that. And that's uh, troubling if you think about it. We're, you know, proportionately speaking, we sent out a lot of money that shouldn't have gone out. That's a problem. But what are you going to do about it? That's the question next. Show me state seeing the second highest losses in overpayments only to the state of Washington. The state has to take responsibility. And that's a good reason to not make mistakes. OK, should the state have to make it up? Um, I don't know. Actually, I totally feel for the people that are going to be receiving these bills. Um, they thought they qualified everything they read. They qualified. This was a confusing time. A lot of people didn't know what was going on, like even on the show. We would talk about the stimulus package and what was going to be happening. And people would call in and they would still ask questions, even though all of the information was talked about, discussed and everywhere. And there were still a lot of people that were confused on the whole process. So that is understandable. What and the one person that KMOV decided to watch was a single mother from Bridgeton who got this bill 
was it $1,800 or something? They, they showed it up on screen. I thought it was three payments of 600 that they were asking for her to repay. Now, if that's the case, that's a lot of money, you know, to come up for that. You know, not everyone can just pull close to two grand out of nowhere uh, unless you are a politician. Outside of that, there's no other reason. There's no other way you can do it. So I can see why elected officials and state representatives in certain areas would want to stand up for their people. I think this needs a better look, a different approach, a better approach. Who really is at fault here needs to be decided because if they did everything properly and you're going back in error, believing that they may not have qualified, then you have to be able to prove that other than just to send a bill. You have to actually probably have uh, a cause. You should be able to send to them, here's the reason why we think you don't qualify. You can object to this and go ahead or correct it or whatever it is to, to better better further the application. The one woman that they decided to talk to later in the KMOV story pointed out that because of this report and the way that they put it on the news that she was uh, found that, oh, the state made an error of the error and she did not owe that money. But I'm guessing there's a lot more people that are in the exact same boat that are not going to be as lucky that didn't get the attention that KMOV put out there for this one woman in Bridgeton. When we come back, we're going to look at the experts take on the coronavirus vaccine. Dr. Dean Finelli, he studied it all. We had him on some time ago and he had a great reaction. So we're going to talk to him next right after the weather. It's Overnight America KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fees 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. News Radio 1120 KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. He's an expert on pharmaceutical and chemical related technologies. Dr. Dean Finelli, thank you for coming on to KMOX. Good to join you. Thank you for having me. Last time you were on, we had so many people message us. They really enjoyed the conversation. You're very insightful and knowledgeable on all of this. So since uh, the last time we spoke and where we are today, the vaccine is being distributed. A lot of people are getting it. Uh, not as many as they would like would be getting it right now. And some people are questioning, even after they get the vaccine and the second dose of the vaccine, what's life going to look like after that? And it's not going to go back to normal that quickly. I'm kind of curious, you know, after you get the vaccine, what do you see happens next for the individuals and for just in general people? Yeah, unfortunately, at this point, we don't know whether the getting the vaccine prevents infection, which means that you wouldn't be able to transmit it or if it just prevents the symptoms. Now, in the trials that were run, uh, they looked at whether the people who received the vaccine didn't get those bad symptoms like hospitalization, like the people needing to be on respirators and supplemental oxygen. But unfortunately, uh, it, we don't know yet if it prevents infection. And, you know, 
that means, unfortunately, we still have to keep wearing those masks and doing the social distancing. That's something that a lot of people think to themselves. Well, if nothing's going to change in my behavior, what's the point? So the whole point would be to try to make it so this spreads a lot less easy. Um, And some people are wondering, too, if they get the vaccine, how long is it going to last for? And I'm seeing reports that it might last a year. That's it. Yeah, we're, we're still learning that. Now, that's one of the things that, you know, only time will tell. You know, getting a vaccine approved so quickly was really an incredible feat of science. But there's some, some things we just can't determine with, until we have time to see how long that memory response lasts. At this point, you know, keeping our fingers crossed, it lasts long enough so we can get to that herd immunity to, you know, get this under control. So right now, uh, it looks like, you know, there is that memory effect. How long it lasts, we just don't know. It could be the type of thing where, you know, we may have to have an annual coronavirus vaccine. Hopefully not, but at this point, we just don't know yet. What is on the horizon with other companies that are still trying to develop a vaccine? Is there going to be other things into the market sometime soon? Yeah, so J&J has, uh, Johnson & Johnson has a vaccine that it's developing. It looks like that may be, if things continue to go in the right direction as they are, that may be authorized sometime in February. Um, AstraZeneca also has a candidate that's it's moving through. That's a little slower. That looks like if it continues to move forward uh, positively, that would come out in about April. And we're going to need as many of these. You know, we're a little behind schedule, as you mentioned. You know, we need to get to about a million people a day at least, you know, to hit that target of herd immunity by the end of the summer beginning of the fall. So certainly, you know, more vaccines being authorized will put us in a much better position. But at this point, you know, we have two authorized and two on the horizon and the Johnson and Johnson and AstraZeneca so far look like they are also uh, having very good efficacy and uh, a very favorable safety profile as well. Uh, Dr. Dean Finelli joining us here on Overnight America. We had a caller yesterday mention he's in California And he received the Pfizer vaccine at a CVS. And I thought, I didn't know they were doing those at like the CVS locations because of the refrigeration issue. So when it comes to the distribution of this thing, you know, I thought it was just hospitals that were introducing these things. But it sounds, uh, have you heard of these things happening outside of hospitals? Yeah, so we hear that, you know, the Pfizer vaccine has to be kept at minus 94 degrees Fahrenheit. And, you know, that sounds very daunting. Uh, it's, it's not, at least in my opinion, it's not as challenging really. I mean, you could store that on dry ice, uh, which is readily available. So, you know, you keep it packed, keep it cool. Uh, so, you know, they are rolling it out to pharmacies as well. And I think, you know, one of the things we're seeing is, you know, the number of doses that's out there is about, you know, in the 20 to 25 million range, but the number of people that have been vaccinated is much lower. So, you know, the distribution is there and, the Trump administration today said they're going to roll out additional doses as well. So it looks like the vaccines will be available. It's just a matter of getting it into the arms of Americans. So the more we can roll it out into pharmacies and other, I've even heard about dentists, you know, potentially uh, vaccinating people just to get this, you know, out as quickly as possible. Uh, but it's, you know, I have heard that uh, CVS and Walgreens and other pharmacies are also uh, administering the vaccine as well. 
a lot of this vaccine has been very ambitious when it came to the uh, the ability to get this thing approved and research it and do the trials and the studies it have been pretty remarkable how fast all of this has gone, considering that even through those trials, it was deemed safe. You, uh, they didn't cut any corners to do it, which is pretty amazing. The one thing that might have been also ambitious is how fast they can distribute this vaccine. So you were mentioning in order to try to get up to the speed of herd immunity by the end of the summer uh, is a, a million a day doable or do you see that it's going to be nearly impossible to uh, uh, to approach that goal no i think we'll we'll get there it's just a matter of you know their hiccups obviously you know we're rolling this out to a lot of people all over the country uh I, we're about at a little over five hundred thousand a day i believe um so you know we're not too far off uh if we keep that momentum up and uh you know if you think about it from the standpoint of the flu vaccine about 150 million americans get the flu vaccine every year and they're vaccinated in that period you know october to uh february ish so you know it's certainly doable uh but you know there just seems to have been a lag somewhere and you know we definitely need to pick up the pace yeah. So what would be the best way to pick up the pace? Because there's some people that are looking at it and they say, well, I'm not a priority. So no urgency. They're still working on, you know, those that are high risk or frontline workers and people in hospitals, things like that. So there's a certain level of, well, I'm, I'm not really in that tier, so I can't do anything anyway. So how do you pick up the pace? What, what should we be doing, if anything, differently? Yeah, that's a great question. And public health experts are looking at that. And at least in my opinion, you know, I think, you know, first and foremost, we administer to healthcare workers and those high-risk people in nursing homes. I think we may want to consider, you know, reducing the, you know, the phase 1B was people over the age of 75 essential workers, and then phase 1C was people over 65. We may at this point, you know, we know they're all high risk. Instead of having that phased approach for 1A, 1B, and 1C, Maybe we just start, you know, giving it to anyone over 65 at this point just to increase those numbers and get people out getting this. Well, I also wonder, too, about some of these other vaccines you were talking about, like Johnson & Johnson. Do any of them have any advantages or are they going to be similar to what we've seen with the Pfizer and Moderna that are available now? So the Johnson & Johnson, one of the really nice advantages of that is that's a single shot. Now, certainly, you know, giving people the first shot and having them comply and come back with Pfizer three weeks later, Moderna four weeks later, that's a challenge as well, because you need, in order to hit that 95% effectiveness or efficacy, you know, you need that second shot with Johnson and Johnson. It's a, they're testing both a single shot and two shots. And it looks like their single shot is also uh, has very effective as well. So if that comes out, certainly, you know, that's a, a game changer, uh, you know, doing the math, you know, you only need one dose. So here, if we're rolling out 20 million doses now, it's only really vaccinating. We're immunizing about 10 million people. So Johnson & Johnson will be definitely be an advantage once that comes out. But again, that's we're probably looking in the February time frame for that. Knowing what the CDC is recommending and they're still recommending even after you receive the vaccine to continue to wear a mask, social distance and all of these different habits we've started to pick up over the past year. Uh, how long do you think we'll be wearing a mask as a society? Yeah, I, you know, we're all annoyed with the mask and tired of wearing it. And I think, unfortunately, we're probably still going to have to wear the masks and do the social distancing through the summer. Um, my best guess, and from what I'm hearing, uh, the, the general consensus is about 
you know, the end of the summer, beginning of the fall. So we're probably looking somewhere in the August to September time frame. Hmm. You know, some people were talking about side effects. Some of the early people that received the Pfizer vaccine showed some symptoms and side effects. But for the most part, when you're talking about all of the hundreds of thousands or, uh, you know, millions of people that have received it around the world, it seems like it's been pretty minimal people uh, complaining. So have you heard about any side effects on a mass scale or is it just very, very minimized? Very minimal. Most people will just get that injection site pain a little shoulder pain, uh, a small number of people under 20%, probably more likely under 10%, will get that fever and that period of 24 hours where they have, you know, flu-like symptoms. Uh, but after that 24-hour period, it pretty much you're back to normal and a very, very small set. And you figure about six, over 6 million people have been vaccinated and about a, couple, a dozen or so have got these severe allergic reactions that require, you know, Benadryl or uh, epinephrine. So that's extremely rare. So for the most part, uh, it's very safe. The safety profile is very good. And at worst, for the most part, people will probably get, you know, injection site pain and maybe a little uh, tiredness, a little uh, somewhat flu-like symptoms. Yeah. You know, I'm curious with other vaccinations or medications that you inject, is that par for the course or is that lower than some of the other ones? Is that higher than some of the other ones when it comes to side effects? Uh, that's par for the course. And, you know, you think about it, it's it's a good thing because that's showing you that your body's actually having that immune response. So although it's annoying that some people have to deal with this, you know, it is, that's the body's natural immunity kicking into effect. And, you know, that's, you know, when you look at it in the big scheme of things, it is a good thing that it's happening. You know, I've read some other things, too, about some side effects people are having from COVID-19. So even if they were asymptomatic, didn't realize they had it. Some doctors are saying for, uh, I forget, it was like maybe nine months after you would have had it, there's a higher risk of having uh, problems with your heart in different organs. So some of the things that scientists are continuing to learn about COVID, what are some of those things that you've seen? Yeah, that's a very important point. Uh, you know, people under the age of 65, you know, healthy people have gotten the virus and they do experience these side effects such as, you know, heart issues, lung issues. So it's very important, even if you think you're healthy uh, and, you know, you think you have a good immune system and you, you get through it, uh, you could have these long-term effects. So it's really critical for young, healthy people to still wear that mask because, as you mentioned, there are potentially in a very small set of people uh, heart conditions and uh, lung complications that have arisen from people that have gotten it and recovered. Dr. Dean Finelli uh, joining us. I have just one other question for you because I've seen this online and I was curious about it. Some people have said um, the World Health Organization, they've looked more into the testing and they're starting to question the accuracy of some of these tests that they've administered and the ways that they've administered it because it may be giving more false positives than we first imagined. I know we're still looking into this and there's still a, an awful lot of testing that goes on and we've advanced testing, but do you have any thoughts about uh, the way that it's been conducted and maybe some of the, uh, the the things that have advanced with the study of testing? Well, certainly the, the number of tests that have, I mean, there's still a lot we need to learn. Uh, you know, in the big scheme of things, typically you're talking about a 10-year frame developing a vaccine and understanding a virus. Here we've done it very quickly. So there's a lot that still needs to learn. But, the you know, the testing uh, advancements are coming along, and I think those initial tests that uh, 
were done, you know, they recognized some of the, the issues that gave false positives and false negatives, and they have corrected them. So I think the testing that's being done now and those diagnostic tests that are, that are being conducted now, people are much more accurate and much more sensitive. I hope that we don't have to keep looking at that same graphic of the COVID, the one that looks like the spiky ball. I'm so sick of seeing that one graphic. I want to retire that sooner than later, and I'm hoping <laughs> it happens later this year. It'd be great. Uh, Dr. Dean Finelli, if people wanted to look you up, some of the work you're doing, what, where can they go? Uh, I'm an attorney at Seaforth Shaw. They, they can look me up at Seaforth, S-E-Y-F-A-R-T-H.com. Perfect. And I thank you for your time. And I'm telling you, so many people last time we spoke had all kinds of great things. They enjoyed hearing your answers to this. Very informative. Thank you for coming back on to Overnight America. Always my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And Dr. Dean Finelli joins us on the Bomberito Automotive Group guest line on Overnight America KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Oh, there it is. So excited. This does sound like 1990s EA Sports Sega Genesis music. Tomorrow, the St. Louis Blues will be taking on the Colorado Avalanche. In this version of Gloria, will not be playing, but let's listen to it more. Here we go. This is Umberto Tozzi. This is the original version, by the way, by the Italian singer Umberto Tozzi. It's very good. You know, if the uh, Blues end up winning a playoff series this year, or maybe going all the way, do you think I can convince our sister station, Y98, to play that song for 24 hours straight? (laughs) Now, this is such a neat tune. I didn't realize that this was the original Gloria that was recorded. And that Italian artist, as far as I know, is still alive. Umberto Tozzi, T-O-Z-Z-I. It's, it's a great song, isn't it? It gets you going. So St. Louis Blues hockey tomorrow night will be in Colorado. Let's hope the Blues can start the season with a win. That would be nice. be really nice. And I hate the Colorado Avalanche. I mean, really don't like the Colorado Avalanche. So I would love to see the Blues start off on a win. And they got some nice additions this year. It'll be good to see the way the chemistry works out. Welcome back to Overnight America. Yes, I also like that song. The last time we played that, we were talking to the woman who wrote that book about the hill, life on the hill, and all the great history that's there. I have the book uh, right over here. It was a popular, I, over the winter break, or at least the last couple of weeks of the year, when uh, I took off for Christmas, I watched the documentary that was on PBS and was part of the film International Film Festival last year here in St. Louis. It was a great documentary. I learned a lot about the hill. Maybe want to go move there until 
you realize that a lot of the uh, old homes there, the ones that you know you can stand between them, extend your arms and touch each window, are basically uh, inherited. <laughs> you can't get a home there if you wanted to. It's hard to find a place there. But I thought, man, wouldn't that be great just to be able to walk to Joya's anytime I want? Uh, you know, Kevin Klein had a great whole nother story talking about food, so I think this would be a good fit here, too. It's the White Knight Diner at the corner of 18th and Olive, where customer Calvin Garner was walking out carrying a to-go bag. Uh, I think I have a couple double cheeseburgers and fries and one small chili. This is my, probably been coming here off and on for 20 years. Do you think it's healthy? <laughs> I'm not going to say all that. Uh, it's, a, it's a diner, it's, but it's it's good food here. Another customer sitting inside awaiting his lunch pickup was Todd Butterman. Uh, how often do you come to the White Knight Diner? Probably once a week. What attracts you? I mean, the food's really good, and they're friendly. What do you usually order? <laughs> Bacon cheeseburger with everything. Fries and a Mountain Dew. The White Knight is a tiny building. You walk up to the counter, and the assistant manager and grill cook greet you. Christy Davis. Yes, I have lots of cholesterol greasy food here that everybody loves to get every day. What are some of your best greasy items? Our double cheeseburgers are a quarter pound each patty and roughly $6.10 per one. And for breakfast? Our breakfast item, our main item is the Slinger. It's known for St. Louis. It has hash browns, hamburger patty, two eggs, cheese, vegetables, and toast that comes with it with a bowl of chili on the side. You are the cook. You stand from 6 until when? 6 to one thirty. How are your feet? Horrible. <laughs> when I get home, yes, I prop them up and relax the rest of the evening because I stand on them all day. How long have you been working here at the White Knight? I've been, I'm in my seventh year here. I've been here since 2014. You're a young woman. What do you see as the future? Are you going to retire here someday? Um... Oh, I don't know. I don't know what my future holds for me yet. I mean, getting up early. How many do you ever say? I, I get up at 4.40 in the morning and be here by 6 o'clock. I live in Illinois. I drive like 35 minutes just to come to work. Do you ever wonder how much longer you can keep up at this? No, I just keep, I worry about today. I'm not worried about tomorrow. Well, you got to keep turning the hamburgers. Yes, I got to keep flipping them burgers. You're exactly right. I got to keep, I got to keep St. Louis full, not hungry. That's assistant manager and grill cook Christy Davis of the White Knight Diner at the corner of 18th and Olive. It's open Monday through Saturday, 6 in the morning till 1.30 p.m. Breakfast until 11, except Saturday they serve breakfast all day long. With a whole nother story, I'm Kevin Colleen. Yeah, I'm a breakfast all day long kind of guy, too. Any time I go to a restaurant or whatever, Waffle House, Denny's, places like that, sign me up for breakfast. The standard eggs... Bacon, hash brown, buttered toast, cup of coffee. Can't get better than that meal. And the egg's over easy, so you can dunk that buttered toast. This is Overnight America KMOX. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my word. And podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. 
We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com.